Denny Hamlin went from two fingers in the ass to one finger in the air in victory lane. Denny Hamlin is locked into round two of the playoffs. Stacking Denny's were one race into the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs of 2021. I'm Jordan McAbee of Fantasy Racing Online. My co-host, Nick Giffen, a.k.a. Rotodoc of Fantasy Labs. Denny Hamlin went from two fingers in the ass to one finger in the air in victory lane. Denny Hamlin is locked into round two of the playoffs. And he's suddenly, according to sportsbooks, a near favorite. They almost have him as short as Larson now in the odds. But first, let's talk about Darlington before we get to the playoffs. Nick, what did you think of that race? Did you think it was as good as everybody says it was? I know in Gluck's poll, it got over 90% yes. And the one main guy that I saw that said it wasn't a good race was uh, it didn't take long for me to see in his profile that he was a Hendrick fan. And Hendrick did not have a good night except for Larson. So what did you think of that race, the Southern 500 on Sunday night? I so first of all, I thought it was I did think it was a good race, but I'm gonna be different here than most of the people. And you know, a lot of people said this race had everything. It did, it had a lot of things. It had, you know, playoff drivers with mishaps, it had passing throughout the field, you know, tire wear, um, some wrecks and and, and things like that. But the one thing it didn't have, you still couldn't pass the leader outside of a restart and that's really frustrating now i know i mean it had an exciting finish kyle larson sent it in there but the only reason that finish even became exciting as far as like the last lap drama is because kyle larson literally video gamed it you know you can't video game it for 367 laps or whatever it was uh so he could only do that on the last corners of you know turns three and four of the last lap and denny hamlin definitely admitted to taking it conservative there so that's the only reason that even produced that kind of finish like other than that kyle larson was probably better than denny hamlin he couldn't get around him um ross chastain may have actually been the best car he couldn't get around larson or denny hamlin like they're you know i mean arguably the best car uh, ross chastain until he tried to pass larson and couldn't and probably burned his tires off there but all things being equal on equal tires, you couldn't pass the leader. Uh, the clean air was king. And I know we're in the 750 horsepower, low downforce package, but you just couldn't pass the leader if you were on a very similar tire strategy. And that's what we saw the whole race was the leaders were always on the same strategy. Now, um, there were differing strategies, which I thought was great. You know, for a while there, Ross Chase, Chastain was actually favored to win the race, which was exciting um, mm-hmm. because there was the two stop versus the three stop strategy. And, uh, you know, but but barring like being on completely different tire strategies, uh, it, it was impossible to pass the leader outside of a restart once again. And to me, that's disappointing. I want to see the, if the car is the fastest. Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to be necessarily a breeze for him to pass. So I definitely want him to work to make the pass. But it was just one of those, like, again, you just couldn't pass 20, 30, whatever that last stint, 35 laps was, just couldn't pass, right? Because there was that late caution, which kind of, brought everybody in, everybody pitted and came back out and everybody was on the same tire, same strategy. And Denny Hamlin just led the whole rest of the race. Um, And that's one of the things that's really frustrating for me is 
when Kyle Larson is probably better. I mean, honestly, I think Kyle Larson was better. I, if he was identically equal to Danny Hamlin, it doesn't seem pro- pro- you know, realistic to me. I think he was probably better because he was literally behind him the whole last stint, like right behind him. And that means he's being held up. Um, that means the dirty air is holding him up and the clean air for Danny Hamlin uh, is is making his car work a little bit better. Uh, so it was just really frustrating those last 35 laps to just see, again, Kyle Larson, the fastest car possibly, or, or maybe Chastain, uh, not be able to pass just like we saw at Pocono, which of course was a 550. But you know, in certain other races we've seen recently in the past, this year and in the previous year, I remember the Joe Logano uh, holding off Kevin Harvick. I think it was at uh, one of those races last year, one of the mile and a halfs. It's just incredibly frustrating to see that uh, from my standpoint. And, you know, could Kyle Larson have done anything different? Possibly could have, you know, put a bumper or put a fender to to Hamlin or tried to get inside of him and, you know, take take the air. But, it, you know, it probably would have been kind of a dirty move there. And we all know Larson and Hamlin are friends. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely they've, they're, they're, they're friends. That's just how it is. So they try to raise each other with respect. But, uh, yeah, it's just. I, I didn't, uh, A, the race was really long and I know it's a 500 mile race and it's supposed to be long. Uh, but part B, it was just like really frustrating that, uh, Kyle Larson just couldn't get past him. I don't care. I mean, I bet both Larson and Hamlin to win, uh, as we talked about, and I'm a Denny Hamlin fan. So obviously, uh, I was happy to see Hamlin win. Um, but you know, I, again, I try to detach my emotion my my bet my my favorites from what i actually thought of the quality of the racing and i thought the quality of the racing was really good for a lot of it i just don't like the fact that you can't pass the leader period in a lot of these races outside of the initial restart mm-hmm. and it's definitely as you said it's not the first time we've seen it this year i mean alex bowman's won a couple races because his pit crew got him out first that's mm-hmm. That's why he won at uh, Dover. Yeah. Yeah. Dover. Yeah. Sorry. I was blanking there. Um, I will say I thought it was a very good race. I was thor- thoroughly entertained through the whole thing, which I can't honestly say I've, I've been for a lot of races this year. Mm-hmm. And that's even after like my DFS day went to shit at the beginning because I talked myself into Alex Bowman and going heavy on him. And he was the first car with an issue. By the way, he's now officially dead to me. Alex Bowman, you're dead to me because of that issue, because of how you ran on Sunday night. I don't know if you'll be able to redeem yourself. But um, as, far as, the, as far as not being able to pass, I was frustrated with that at Michigan. We were, we were vocal about that. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that I'm not as mad about it from Darlington, and I, I hate Denny Hamlin. I should be pissed off as all hell that this race ended like that where where Larson can get around him because you look at green flag speed Kyle Larson had half a mile an hour faster car than Denny Hamlin green mm-hmm. uh Kurt Busch was actually second in green flag speed in that race and he was basically equal with Hamlin but once again Larson was significantly faster but in my mind I didn't I I'm not gonna say it was a bad race and I don't think you were saying it's a bad race either you just right. didn't like that he could pat couldn't pass um I would have been more upset if someone like Joey Logano or Martin Truex Jr., as good as Martin Truex Jr. was, he was not the best car. I think Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson were the two best cars, and that's why 
I think my mind's a little skewed on um, how big of a factor I'm taking the no passing in because I still think that the second best car won, um, even yeah. though Lars Larson clearly had the best car. So, um, yeah, I like I said, I thought it was a very entertaining race. I thought that the action was good. The the um, pit strategy was awesome. The it was crazy to see so many playoff contenders have issues. I think that's one thing. I think you and I were expecting, you know, maybe one or two to have an issue, maybe. Mm-hmm. And there was what seven of them that seven that had, eight had yeah significant issues. Like we're not talking like just not being good, but like wrecking and out. Kyle Busch out. Um, so that was just that was crazy to th- see uh rick allen had a very off night his first one in a while i i need to comment on this because he was so bad uh when michael mcdowell went head first into the wall his 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 uh trunk was basically in the passenger seat and Mm -hmm. rick allen he's getting out of the car and rick allen goes think he's gonna get back out there guys Actually, it'd be think he's going to get back out there, guys, because he just—he's a walking caps lock and doesn't know how to turn his voice Ugh. down. But oh, it was—it was. I loved going through the tweets of people. It's been a while. Like I said, it's been a while since Rick Allen's had a really bad race. He had a really bad race at Darlington. Even the last lap call wasn't good. He thought Hamlin had an issue, like he ran out of gas or something, without knowing what Larson was doing, which. I understand watching it from TV perspective. They NBC did something really stupid at the end. They zoomed in on Hamlin's car instead of showing Larson, who was right on his bumper, and also showing him. So I I get where Rick Allen was coming from, but at the same time, he did he was he sounded really dumb. And it was nice seeing more people on Twitter saying I've like specifically saying I've given Rick Allen a break for so long, but wow, he's not good because we all need to get on that train. But as far as as far as the race, I th- I thought it was good. I you know Hamlin and Larson were the two best cars, and they were they finished one two. And I can't complain about Darlington. Darlington just produces. I, such I great, just I just can't racing. get behind not being able to pass the leader if you're faster, and it's just it it bothers me. I thought, I, and I know, I mean, I saw it from drivers. I saw it from media members. You know, obviously fans and everything that they love the race by and large they love the race and mm-hmm. i thought it i didn't love the race i thought it was a good race but i didn't love the race um it was it, i just can't get around the fact that literally zero passes for the lead after the first two laps of a restart uh none and it's just you know some of it could be you know the leader drives off because they're faster but that wasn't the case for the whole race and especially at the end. So I was, I was disappointed by it um, in that regard. And uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll see something different with the next gen car. Uh, I don't know. Um, but uh, I wasn't as high on as everybody. I still voted yes in the Jeff Gluck poll. I thought it was a mm-hmm. good race, but I didn't think it, it should be, you know, one of the highest of the whole season in my personal opinion, but you know, everybody sees everything different. And, uh, I just was, was a little disappointed that, you know, even, even if Larson and Hamlin had like 
gotten side by side a couple times or, um, you know, beaten Bang and Hamlin still ended up prevailing. It would have been a little better, but it was literally just Larson riding behind Hamlin the whole race uh, for the last 35, whatever laps. So um, that was a little frustrating to me. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, you made a good point as far as leaders not being able to, you know, usually, especially at Darlington, we've seen Truex get out to 20 second leads on the field. Hamlin never did, despite leading, he led almost as many laps as Hamlin or as Larson. He never mm-hmm. really did. But when Larson was in the front, he was laying down laps, you know, and I was, I was live tweeting it, watching lap times. Like he yep. was like five to six mile hours faster than the top 10 on, on the first, in the first 10 laps. Like I get what you're saying. I, I think I'm just, my brain might be conditioned to just accepting that these cars can't pass. As, yeah. as bad as that sounds, because we're so used to it. It's, it's, it's every week, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe that's just, maybe that's where I'm at. Which, which is know. probably what makes it look a lot better than it was. Cause there was passing. It just wasn't in the front. Um, uh, one of the other things I thought was super interesting about the race, you mentioned the problems uh, of the leaders and especially like seven of them had like serious issues. Well, you can pretty much divide this past race, Darlington into two groups of drivers the there were seven drivers that finished in the top eight seven playoff drivers that finished in the top eight so eight of the seven of the top eight were playoff drivers the only one in the top eight that wasn't a playoff driver was ross chastain every driver in the playoffs other than those seven and there's 16 playoff drivers that means nine playoff drivers finished 16th or worse uh almarola being the best of those finishing 16th and we know he was right down kind of near the bottom uh, in terms of coming into the playoffs, he had those only those five playoff points from winning at New Hampshire. So there was a definitely a divide there. Now, there isn't as big a divide uh, in the point standings because some of the drivers that were lower coming in, like Keselowski and Harvick, uh, ended up having good days. But, uh, you know, so there isn't a huge gap. But uh, obviously, you know, Kyle Larson uh, is pretty much locked in at this point. I mean, it would take two absolute calamities for him not to get in. Denny Hamlin, of course, is locked in. Truex, it would take one calamity and one bad race. So, you know, you can pretty much shoo those three in. Uh, And then fourth in the standings right now, Kurt Busch. So that's pretty interesting to me. Uh, Ryan Blaney, who was second, tied for second in the, uh, the playoff standings coming in, is now fifth in points with a 22nd place finish which is typical Ryan Blaney at Darlington. Yeah. You mentioned Kurt Busch, and and I made a note specifically that I wanted to talk about him this week. That team is – Chip Ganassi Racing is on fire. They are running very good. So in addition to Chastain finishing third, Kurt Busch, I think he had a top three car at Darlington. Green Flag Speed says he has the second best car at Darlington. He finished sixth. Uh, Looking at his last eight races, he's finished top six in five of them. Do you think he can continue this through the playoffs? And is he suddenly becoming a sleeper to get to maybe not Phoenix, but round three? Like, um... I mean, potentially, it, this is not a good track for him, Richmond, here. Let's like look at the races this year that Kurt Busch has run at the short flats. You know, finished 15th at Phoenix uh, and finished um, New Hampshire 16th 
and at Richmond earlier this year finished 13th. So his best finish is 13th. And these these short flats have just not been his bread and butter. Uh, and so you know Richmond's tough. We're gonna have another short flat later at Martinsville. It's actually his best one. But as long as he can survive Richmond here, uh, he'll you know and and not Bristol's a great track for him. He'll be fine. Um, he's been pretty good at these mile and a half. So Las Vegas should be pretty good. Talladega is always a wild card. And you look at the road courses, Kurt Busch has not had a bad year at the road courses. He finished fourth at Road America, finished sixth at the Indy Roval, finished fourth at the Daytona Roval. Um, you know, so he's had some good finishes. He's also had some bad ones in road courses, but that's just kind of how road course racing goes. You, you know, if you can run well and one weird thing happens, you know, Circuit of the Americas, a rain happens or you get shuffled out on strategy or something and you can have a bad day, but by and large, he's been pretty solid. And so then there's like that Texas, Kansas, Martinsville round. That could be another good set of races for him. I mean, he's been pretty good at these mile and a half. So um, Chip Ganassi racing absolutely has stepped it up. And, you know, you say he's finished top six in uh, five of the last eight. Well, you know, the race before that, those eight was Pocono. He finished 20th. But then the three races prior to that, he finished six, eight and six. So he's really finished top eight in uh you know, in eight of the last 12 races, which is uh, like a two thirds ratio there where he's finished in the top eight, which is super impressive. Um, he could make a run. He could, he could make a run, but uh, you know, it's possible he gets into Phoenix. He's not going to win the championship Phoenix. Uh, like I said, Phoenix and New Hampshire and Richmond just haven't been great for him. Even going back last year, you know, 12th at Phoenix, 13th at Richmond, 17th at New Hampshire, uh, and then a 6th at Phoenix, but that won't be good enough to win a championship uh, in that first Phoenix race of 2020. And that was also when there was practice. Um, we don't have practice now. So he just hasn't been very good at Chip Ganassi racing under these current rules without practice at the short flats if you remove Martinsville. Mm-hmm. Another thing to note um, with Kurt Busch is his season started turning around, like you said, a little bit before uh, his Atlanta win. So go back to Sonoma in June. He uh, that's when he started. That's when he began starting more up front as well. So mm-hmm. he went through a long stretch there of not starting in the top ten since Sonoma. He's or even since since Pocono, the first Pocono race, he started in the top eight in six of the ten races. So I think that's a that's a factor definitely of Kurt Bush's additional speed, as well as you have to think I, I still go back to Charlotte when when Chip Ganassi Racing had they both had those engines issues and Hendrick said, Hey, this was our fault. And ever since then, ever since then. Yep. Kurt Busch has has had and and Chastain has had significantly better speed. So you have to think they they have to be getting more reliable equipment, better equipment maybe. Um, and ty- going off of that, a, another guy we need to mention having a good night at Darlington. Who I I saw a tweet about his equipment was Corey LaJoy. He finished fifteenth at Darlington and didn't luck into a top fifteen finish. He was like he honestly running. deserved better. He honestly deserved he better. He he got trapped a lap down there at one point, and it you know that was really unfortunate. But he he was legitimately running like eighth at one point in the race just on mm-hmm. speed, you know. And it was like yeah. holy crap, he actually deserved a better finish. Yeah, so that that's always nice to see. I mean, I I wrote him up in my DraftKings article. 
So it was awesome to see him run well. But um, I saw a tweet that Spire got new equipment and and it included an engine. And they, that's what they used at Darlington. And that's probably, I mean, I, you can just assume that that's, that's why he had that speed. But it's always good to see, you know, the the lower tier drivers perform well and legitimately perform well, you know, not get lucky on a, on a caution or, or some kind of break like that and actually finish well. So nice to see Corey LaJoy up there and running well and getting some TV time um, <clears throat> in the process. Um, so let's go ahead and you started talking about the playoffs. So we'll go back and if, if we want to, I'm going to go ahead and throw in here the audio from last week when I said Denny Hamlin's going to win multiple races. He's going to start with a win at Darlington, <laughs> and he's going to win the championship. I'm going to throw that in right there. Denny Hamlin wins. I said Truex is going to win at Richmond this weekend. I said that last week. You have to, like you said, we got Hamlin, Larson, Truex probably in. It's going to take, it's going to take a catastrophe out of Truex at Richmond because, as you said last week, we don't see many incidents in this race. We don't see many teams have issues. Truex is the best driver on short flats. This race is at night. Everything mm-hmm. is in Truex's flavor, favor this weekend. Um, but going down further in the playoff standings, this thing got so shaken up. So we now have Alex Bowman, Kyle Busch, William Byron all on the outside looking in. Bowman's tied with Reddick in points. Almarola's 11th, three points ahead of Bowman. We are at Richmond. Eric Almarola is really good at short flat tracks. This is turning into a very good situation for him to possibly sneak into the next round. Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, only five points, five and four points ahead of Bowman. This is this is going to come down to Bristol. I'm I'm completely prepared for this because Christopher Bell is going to finish top 10 at Richmond as is Chase Elliott. Almirola has a chance. Bowman, you never know. Kyle Busch should. Uh, Byron should. These guys, I think, are going to all be, I think we're going to have this exact same type of playoff point structure next week going into the night race at Bristol, which (laughs) none of those guys want to happen. Um, It's I don't even know what to think. I don't like, like I said, going back to Darlington as all this shit was unfolding. Um, by the way, shout out Kyle Bush for saying shit on TV because it got a lot of people pissed off. Um, <laughs> man, I, did you see those tweets? Oh, let's talk all about right. Kyle Bush. Let's go to Kyle, Kyle Bush in the, in the incident going in. So he got fined news broke today, $50,000. He got fined for driving into the garage he also got interviewed and, and said shit like three times on TV, which I love because one of my favorite South Park episodes is the one, this was before the FCC allowed shit to be said on television. And they gave South Park the okay. They said, you can do it for one episode. You can say shit. And I think they said it like 154 times. Like, <laughs> it's my favorite episode ever. I was just watching it a little bit ago. But so uh, I, I did not see an issue. Obviously Kyle Bush shouldn't have done what he did when he drove through the garage like that. But I'm going to die on this hill of those people. A wreck just happened on the racetrack and you're standing in the entrance of the garage. Why are you there? I agree with that, but 
man, like, like, yes, he I agree with that. He part. wasn't going egregiously fast. He was going pit road speed. But you don't normally turn in like that going pit road speed. You know, you go, you slow down, you you make sure people aren't in the way. Um, I I know you and I see different on this. And if we're gonna if we're gonna get on NASCAR for in think you know potentially endangering the safety of the drivers, we need to get on Kyle Busch for endangering the safety of people on pit road or in the garage area uh, because. That was completely unexpected. There's no other driver that has ever done it like that, you know, in recent memory. That's just not something that is to be expected. The cones are blocking that off, so you're not expecting a car come flying through the cones. Um, you know, I, I understand there's a wrecked car and there's caution and, and there's going to be cars coming in the garage, but you're expecting the car to go around the cones. Normally, that would mean they need to slow down a little further to take the turn a little sharper the driver should just be exercising caution anyway. I'm going to take the complete opposite side from you here. I think the fine was deserved. Um, maybe not enough. I'm fine with a $50,000 fine. I'll say, I think, I think Pelly was right. Um, I actually think, you know, I, I think NASCAR nailed it on this one, but if we're going to get on NASCAR for someday, they're going to kill a driver. If drivers keep flying around, like Kyle Busch did someday, they're going to kill somebody in the garage area and we can't let that happen. So I'm going to take the different side from you. I understand your side of the argument. I do. Uh, I understand a wreck on track just happened. That's the only entrance to the garage area uh, is, you know, coming through that spot on pit road, but there were cones there, but you're not expecting a car to come at pit road speed. You're expecting them to slow down to make that turn. Uh, and you literally had a couple people like almost diving out of the way, definitely scrambling out of the way to avoid getting hit. Uh, it just was a little, little too much. I understand Kyle Busch's frustration. I understand being mad that you ran poorly and you're wrecked and it's the playoffs, but let's, 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 you know, it, it's, it's not going to matter if you get to the garage five seconds faster. Uh, your, your day's already done. So, um, you know, just, just. Go around the cones, take it a little bit easier, and make sure people are safe. Mm -hmm. My argument with the cones is, even if he would have went around the cones, they they still would almost hit people. Like that wasn't going to really stop anything. But if he'd gone you know slower I mean? and gone around the cones, it would have been less of an issue. Um, he he, yeah. you know, you go straight. They definitely would have that are set up there. Yeah, exactly. And NASCAR set those cones there for a reason. It wasn't. It actually wasn't so that you couldn't go that on that part of uh uh you know the garage entering like that it was so that it forced you to stay on pit road to cross timing and scoring so kyle bush may actually not have run an extra lap uh i don't know for sure but he's supposed to stay on pit road and go around the cones so that way he gets scored for the next lap and uh you know so i don't know if he ended up getting scored for that extra lap by swinging around mm -hmm. uh it it would have been really weird if you know somehow that cost him one position if multiple cars had gotten on a wreck on that and that one lap and one of them you know came around and scored that extra lap and he hadn't and that cost him one playoff point and ends up costing him you know a spot in the next round of the playoffs so that's why those cones were there but just but because those cones were there people were aggregated behind those cones because they're not expecting the car come through the cones you're just not expecting a car to go plowing through the cones at at 50 miles an hour or whatever it was um mm -hmm. you know you're expecting them to take the turn around the cones slowing down a little bit more and being able to you know 
plan for it. But I do agree when there is a caution, people probably should exercise more caution, spectators and Kyle Bush alike. Yeah. Um I I I, I get I get both sides of this. I'm just one, I don't like people calling this out because I think a lot of people are calling this out because it was Kyle Bush. When when Cody I agree Ware with goes, that. I do agree with when, that. Hundred percent agree. When, with when Cody Ware goes out and purposely wrecks his teammate going 150 miles an hour at Phoenix, nobody has an issue with it, and they actually defend Cody Ware and his his oh, uh, <laughs> and his anger issues because he has anger issues. He's done it multiple times this year. He's intentionally wrecked people. And I've had people in my mentions on Twitter defending Cody Ware, saying that he's not a shitty driver and he doesn't wreck people on purpose. That's what I have issue with. Right. Um, I agree with that. As far as the fine, I thought it, I thought it was laughable. I, it's, it's whatever. I was going to be upset if it was points. Now, do you think he should have been fined points? No. No, I think this was the right penalty. Um, NASCAR needs to send a message. In my opinion, I know yours is different. In my opinion, NASCAR need to send a message that this is unacceptable. And I know it's a slap on the wrist for Kyle Busch. The dude's a, a multimillionaire, right? So it's a slap on the wrist. But it sends a message to all the drivers, not just Kyle Busch. And I think had any driver done it, NASCAR would be issuing this fine. Um, I think more people are pissed about it. More, more fans and NASCAR Twitter are pissed about it because it's Kyle Busch. Than if it were, I don't know, Jimmy Johnson or something. Well, maybe if it was Jimmy Johnson, people would be pissed too. But, you know, insert favorite driver here, Chase Elliott or something. Um, some driver that's far less polarizing. But uh, I think NASCAR had to send a message because you can't let that slide. You need to protect the safety of everybody. NASCAR needs to protect the safety of the drivers. We've gotten frustrated about that. The drivers need to protect the safety of the people in the garage area. Do you think going back to uh, was it the Loudon race, the rain race? Yeah, started in the rain, and Kyle Busch tapped the the pace car after he wrecked in the rain. Mm-hmm. They didn't do anything about that. Do you think? Do you think if uh, you people are obviously more upset because that happened as well? Do you think he would have not been fined if they wouldn't have let him off for that one? No, I think they. Should, I think they would have fined him for this anyway. I don't think the pace car thing was a big deal. I mean, drivers have bumped pace cars plenty of times, uh, either mm-hmm. out of frustration or being goofy or, or, or things like that, um, just to kind of either send a message or have a little bit of fun. I had no problem with uh, you know Kyle Busch doing what he did there in New Hampshire, and uh, I, I, I. You know, I think uh, this is a separate incident and NASCAR needs to judge each incident on its own. And I think they did that. And I think it, it makes sense, you know, um, find him $50,000 to him. It's, you know, to Kyle Busch, it's peanuts. But how much is that to, you know, one of these back Josh Balicki? What if he had done it right? You know, is that is that peanuts to him? Um, so it sends a message to all drivers. Uh, and I don't think Kyle Busch is going to do something like that again in the near future. So I actually do think it sends a message even to Kyle Bush, like, Hey dude, not, not good, not good. And uh, hopefully he realizes he, you know, he probably can just take it a little bit easier and go around the cones. It, it's it, what, why does he, why do you need to go plowing through the cones at 50 miles an hour? Why can't you go around the cones at 25 miles an hour? I get you. 
Uh, I did think it was ironic. Scott Miller, the executive vice president of competition, mentioned um, that they it was a situation that could have been bad and that basically he's talking about safety. And this is the same guy that weaseled his way out of taking any blame at all for loud. Like, I'm just. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, and that's the thing that that's the thing. If we want NASCAR to be consistent about safety, we also, in my opinion, we should be consistent about safety. Whether it's a driver endangering potential people in the garage or NASCAR potentially endangering drivers. So, you know, I, I agree with you on Scott Miller. Like, come on. But like. My, my issue with Scott Miller is he should have come down and been like, we totally screwed the pooch. We, we, we completely botched it at New Hampshire. We put drivers in danger. If this was a playoff race, we would have, you know, had shit all over our face and everything. Um, I, I agree with you there, but I think we also need to apply the same standards to drivers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, we, yeah. I did like, I think we can both agree. David Reagan tweeted earlier tonight. He said, if NASCAR had 10 more drivers with the talent and attitude that Kyle Busch has, the sport would be better. I hope he pays the fine and keeps being Kyle. Yes, that is something that I will always agree with. I know you will always agree with because Mm -hmm. these cardboard cutout drivers, the Chase Elliott's, the Alex Bowman's, the William Byron's are not fun for the sport. Kyle Larson is fun for the sport. Who else? does these last lap attempt passes other than Kyle Busch. You look at the last two notable, excitable finishes like that. It's Kyle Larson at Darlington. It's Kyle Larson at Chicagoland going him and Kyle Busch going at it. That one was unbelievable. I was about to bring that one up. The Chicagoland one from, uh, was it 18 or 19? Something like that. Mm -hmm. But that was absolutely bonkers. Um, I was actually in, St. Louis, I think it was for a wedding. Yeah, St. Louis for a wedding. Um, and it was a really weird week because there was a lot of chalk. Uh, there were a lot of drivers starting in the back that week. And so what I did is I played 150 lineups, but I played 30 lineups and just 5X each lineup. So mm. I only played 30 unique lineups. It was so chalky. And I just played variations on that chalk. And I figured. You know, and and actually, so back when I was at Rotoviz and, and podcasting about this and, and writing about this and stuff like that, I talked about how these super chalky lineups, you just put in your cash game lineup, you could run a train of 150 and way more often than not, you not only would you cash, you'd cash for more than min cash in these. So what I did is I entered like 30 pretty darn chalky lineups, you know, a little variation here and there. And one of those 30 happened to hit and I had 5X'd it. And I think oh. it was like, um, you know, it was like $7,000 for first place split. But then I had five of them. So I had like $35,000. I can't remember the exact details, but it was something along those lines. Um, and I absolutely just smashed that weekend. And uh, I remember being in a barbecue joint, um, you know, enjoying some nice Midwestern St. Louis barbecue. And, uh, you know, just uh, watching the end of that race because it was the next day after the wedding. Um, and it was just like, holy, holy gee. I actually left the wedding that night to go like, make sure my lineups were set, make sure the road of his apps and everything were, were good. Uh, and you know, like 
take care of all my customers and everything like that, get my lineups in and came back to the reception. You know, like I, I dipped out for like 45 minutes to make sure everything was good. Uh, and the next day was the race and uh, you know, hung over watching at this random barbecue joint in St. Louis before I have to take off to the airport and uh, ended up uh, making a lot of money that day, which is really nice. But uh, yeah, that was the crazy. And I was, I was like, I just wanted to finish exactly how they were. And then all of a sudden, like crazy things happen. I'm like, no, God, no. But they ended up finishing one, two anyway, exactly mm-hmm. the order I needed. So it, it all worked out just fine. I was like, that went from like, I was on cloud nine to like, shit, 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 shit. Back to cloud nine. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome though. And yeah, I, I had a similar thing happen when I was in Minneapolis, uh, I was going to a Vikings game and it was the Chicago land race that I think Chase Elliott won it or Chase Elliott dominated it. It was from like 2018. But anyway, um, there was news that broke right before, right before lock. Like it was literally four minutes before lock. And I think it was Kevin Harvick who was going to start top five, had to go to the back. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody saw the news or not a lot of people did. I switched off and I ended up winning, um, the $27 contest and like two of the GPPs. It was awesome. But again, eating the day after and the day of the race and not really paying full attention. Speaking of uh, St. Louis, as you were talking about news broke, well, it hasn't broke officially yet, but the rumor is from Adam Stern, who's never wrong, that gateway is getting a cup race next year in place of one of the Pocono races. So the Grim Reaper, Alex Bowman, wins at Pocono, and Pocono loses a race, similar to what happened to Auto Club and um, Chicagoland. I don't know a lot about Gateway. Do you? <laughs> I, I do. I actually do. Um, I Being an IndyCar fan as well, and having watched IndyCar for years and years and years and years, Gateway is a track that's been around uh, and was introduced in the latter portion of the 90s on the IndyCar, back then the cart schedule. Uh, So it's a short, flat track. Uh, I think it's one mile in length, but it's kind of like Darlington egg-shaped, but it's one mile and flat, if I remember uh, exactly correctly. Um, I definitely have it as a short flat because, you know, the the lower series, I can't remember if the Xfinity or trucks run at it, maybe both. but uh, so I've seen lots of good races there. And uh, yeah, so short flat track, different radius turns one and two versus three and four kind of reminds me of the Milwaukee mile. Uh, so it's actually 1.25 miles in length, but uh, flat track, 11 degrees and nine degrees of banking in turns one and two and three and four respectively. Um, so, you know, you can compare it a little bit to Milwaukee mile. You can compare it to New Hampshire. You can compare it uh to a flat darlington you can compare it to um you know maybe a bit of a nashville just it's on asphalt instead of concrete because nashville's pretty flat and it's 1.3 miles or whatever so there are some comparable tracks there but i would generally speaking categorize it in the short flat uh one and a quarter miles track so you know somebody like an eric almarola who's been great at these short flat tracks and of course we're going to one this weekend at richmond well, Eric Almarola, if you remember, and, and this is going to tie in really funny, but Eric Almarola actually won his, a, 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 I can't remember then if it was like 
nationwide race. I think it was nationwide. You know, the, the current Xfinity series used to be called nationwide series. Uh, he won at the Milwaukee mile, but didn't actually finish the race. He started the race, but due to sponsorship obligations was forced to exit the car and Denny Hamlin replaced him. <laughs> Your boy, Denny Hamlin replaced him and won the race. However, Eric Almarola was kicking ass that race and he was pissed that he had to leave the car. This was when he drove for Joe Gibbs racing in the, in the nationwide series. He was absolutely pissed that he had to leave the car. And I would have been too, right? The dude's running up front the whole race. Uh, so this was 2007 and uh, you know, he's running up front. He fell the second or third, but he kind of clawed his way back forward and things like that. I mean, the dude was just dominant. He was probably going to win the race. But he has to make way due to sponsorship obligations for Denny Hamlin, who's running Cup and uh, you know Xfinity, whatever it was called back in 2007. Uh, it was actually the Bush Series back in 2007, so it was still Bush Series then. And uh, Denny Hamlin goes in, drives all the way back from the tail end of the lead lap to win the race, which Almirola probably would have won anyway. And that is how Almirola won. But Almirola has always been good at these short flats in Milwaukee sets up very much like a gateway. So, you know, if, if Almirola is still in this ride next year or still in a good ride, it's going to be another good track for him. So add another one, in my opinion, to the short flat category. Mm-hmm. And that'll, that'll get us. Well, first, before we get talking about Richmond, let's talk about betting because I had a few people DM me this week, some very good questions because I, First, I'll talk about the Jordan Jinx bets. So I don't think I've ever fully clarified what these bets are. Um, And just looking at results this year. So the Jordan Jinx actually has four wins this year. It's got Bowman at Dover, Kyle Busch at second Pocono race, Larson at Watkins Glen, and Hamlin last week. Toot toot. That's my horn. So four and twenty for the year, but it's up twenty three units. So if you're if you're betting a hundred dollars a race, you're up twenty three hundred dollars. I, when it comes to the Jordan Jinx, there's two ways I approach it. It's either a ton of value, like I saw with Hamlin last week at Darlington, eight to one mm-hmm. for Hamlin last week was great. I think I it was nine to one when we recorded the podcast, and I said I loved it. Yeah. Um, or I'm I'm. I'm doing it on purpose because this jinx is real and people have bad luck and I want to I want them to have bad luck to benefit me in DFS. So going back to the first Atlanta race, the Jordan Jinx bet was on Kevin Harvick. Everybody was on Kevin Harvick. Everybody called me crazy for fading Kevin Harvick completely that weekend. That's when I won my ticket to King of the Speedway and won another five grand on top of it or something like that. Yep, yep. So that was a long winded part of I have very weird betting strategies and this question that I got, these questions that I got kind of threw me off on how, how the technique like correct way to bet may be or, or our recommended way of betting. And I'm going to let you go first because I have a very specific way that I build my betting cards. Cause I don't particularly like outright winners. I don't like betting outright winners. Um, but so how he, how this guy, um, TG, um, questioned it was when you putting up a betting card, 
do you kind of go like a cash play or tournament play? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, is it a good strategy to bet multiple race winners or just bet one? And then essentially, um, how does your betting card work? Do you spread your bets across a lot of them that you like, or do you hammer some harder than others? So I'll let you go first on how you like to, and obviously this is going to change depending on odds for every week and the race and everything. But as a general, uh, how a general rule of how you build a betting card, what, what's kind of your way that you do it? Cause I know you bet outright winners more than I do. Um, so I, I, I'm curious too, how, how, what what you what kind of goes through your head because you you mentioned like last week you know betting like five units on on Larson three on Hamlin and two on yeah, yeah, yeah. Keselowski that is or something that is, I could yeah. see yeah yeah so I'll let you go and then and then we can talk about so it. so everybody has a different way of betting and let's be clear there's no perfect right way. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your own risk profile. You have your own tolerance for what you can handle in wins and losses, uh, especially losses. Um, and so it's you, know, you also different people assess things differently. So let's look at somebody like Rufus Peabody, who is, has built this amazing model that he uses to bet golf. He or or NFL, he does as well. I mean, bets lots of different things, but. He just dumps tons of bets out there, like every single. Uh, he basically looks for any edge he can find, and and I'm not going to speak for him because I don't know exactly his betting strategy. But I've seen him bet 60, 70 bets slash props in a single golf tournament or the Super Bowl. Uh, but he's essentially finding whatever he thinks is good value and betting it. Uh, and in the long run, you're going to make money if you're always betting plus EV bets. So any mm-hmm. bet that is plus EV that you think is a good bet is going to make you money in the long run. So you should be betting plus EV bets. Now, the question is like like a little deeper, like, well, what is plus EV? Is it my model says it's this is a good bet or is it my model plus the margin of error of my model? You know, because no model is perfect. So there's a you know confidence interval, let's say 95% confidence interval or something like that. If it's outside of the confidence interval, you know, my model says even the worst part of this confidence interval is still a good bet. You bet it. That's up for you to determine. It's based on your risk profile. But, uh, you know, it's totally different. So there's two things kind of going on here. There's outrights. And then there's just like how many bets do you make in general? For outrights, I sometimes bet none. Sometimes I bet five, uh, mm-hmm. or or occasionally I can squeeze in six because it's you know, it, as you start betting more and more, you're risking more units. And and let's say you only have fifteen units to spare to make a profit. If you're betting five or six or whatever, you know, it it, it starts to eat away at the potential profit you can make. Now, if you just bet one, your absolute best positive ev positive expected value driver each week that would be ideal but the problem is you don't have as many bullets in the chamber so it's a lot harder to win so you realize that positive expected value on a lot longer timeline so the question is do you want to realize more profit you know do you want to steadily grow 
you know, and with NASCAR, I can't even say steadily because you're going to, it's, it's oftentimes it's like down, 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 but then you take a big jump up, down, 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 big jump yep. up. Right. Uh, and if you yep. get two or three in a row, you go up and up and up. Or do you want to have a lot more down and then a big up, um, you know, an even bigger up. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it will take you a lot longer to realize that expected value because you have fewer bullets in the chamber. So that's what it comes down to. Most weeks, I would say I bet anywhere from one to three drivers. Occasionally, like I said, four, five, or six to win, just depending on the circumstance. You know, it's something like a Talladega where I'm betting five or six drivers that are 20 to one or longer. It's not a big deal because they're all 21 or longer. Um, And the other thing I do is, uh, and I don't do this every week, but I like to adjust my units so that I approximately will make the same profit no matter which driver wins. So this past weekend, right? I bet Kyle Larson at plus 325, (coughs) four units, you know, so that's like 13 units if I hit. Uh, I bet Denny Hamlin at plus 845, one and a half units. So that's like a little over 13 units again, uh, or around 13 units if I hit. And then uh, I bet um, Chase Elliott plus 1350. So that's 13 and a half units if I hit. And either way, I'm still risking six and a half units outright. So if any of them hit, I'm bringing back around 13-ish units. So I'm going to make uh, 13 minus six and a half. I'm going to make um, you know, six and a half units, let's say ballpark. So, mm-hmm. uh, if any of the three hit, and so that's what I did. Um, you can do it different. Some people like to bet longer shots and then have like bet one of the favorites. Let's say it was Kyle Larson this week. Let's say I'd bet Denny Hamlin, um, you know, two units and Chase Elliott, like a unit and a half or something like that. I'd be approximately winning like 17 units on Denny Hamlin and approximately like 20 on Chase Elliott, well, I could bet Kyle Larson at like six units just to cover uh, and make back what I would have lost if Kyle Larson wins, Uh, you know, so essentially break even on outrights if Kyle Larson wins. Um, So there's different people like to do different things. There's no right way. Just my preferred method is to find whatever I think is value. And, And the reason I bet Larson and Hamlin was by far, they were one and two in my model. Uh, and actually, Hamlin had the slightly better, higher average finish in my model. Larson had the better upside in my model, so he was more likely to win. But Hamlin actually had the better average finish in my model than Larson. But they were by far one and two. And then Truex was third. Uh, but, you know, so I decided to go with Hamlin, um, who was super value for me. He was my best EV play. Decided I wanted to bet Larson to kind of cover that and it, because Larson and Hamlin were so far ahead that I think Larson was good value as a favorite uh, and had more Larson and more upside. And then the book, I, I was, you know, just found 1350 on Chase Elliott. Make sure you shop around because in Vegas, especially in Nevada, you can find a lot of really damn good odds. And Circa um, is very different. Circa is, is one of the new, you know, casinos, newer casinos in the past year or so, especially since the pandemic hit. They have very interesting outright lines um, oftentimes compared to, you know, Westgate or MGM or Caesar, you know, who all kind of are a lot closer to each other. So you can find really good lines at Circa um, and they're offering Chase Elliott plus 1350. So, you know, that that seemed really good because I had four or five drivers that all had an upside of of being able to win um, 
and Chase Elliott was one of those drivers, uh, or he was right up there in my top four or five. He's going plus 1350. I felt like I had to bet him. Now, obviously, it didn't work out for him, um, but I still don't hate the bet. So just like it, it and it, it's hard to like give a one size fits all approach to betting outrights because each week is so different. But that's generally my approach is to find anywhere from one to three. Uh, if it's just one, that's fine. But you know, if I'm doing two or three or four, I I personally like to bet them all, so I approximately will make the same amount regardless of any of the four hit. Um, and then as far as props, you know, head to heads or or any other prop. I just bet what I think is good value. So I don't care if it's mm-hmm. zero bets or 50 bets that week. Right. Um, before I get to the second part of his question, I'll, I'll go with my general strategy. So I'm with you. I don't, I don't bet a lot of outrights. I don't particularly like it. I, I do. I bet outrights to have the Jordan jinx each week. Um, and if I see value in a bet, so I saw Hamlin, I saw value in Hamlin eight to one. My algorithm had him fourth. I thought he could win. So I bet it because eight to one looked a lot better than Truex at four and a half or, or Larson at three. I very rarely bet favorites. That's going to change this week. Cause I'm going to bet on Truex and he's the favorite. I, I also very rarely bet on favorites. This was one of the rare weeks I bet on the absolute favorite. And I know I've talked about not betting favorites typically at plus three twenty five or, or plus, especially under plus 300, but it just seemed my model was like Hamlin and Larson are so smashed and they finished one too. My model was like Hamlin and Larson were so smashed. And then Truex came in third. Uh, I, it was just, it made so much sense to me to just bet Hamlin and Larson given what I was seeing. I was like, I'll take the absolute favorite and then I'll take the guy that's longer than Truex there. And those, those two are one and two by far in my, in my model. So I just, you know, I just bet them and it worked out really well. Um, you know, if you look at, uh, the the perfect percent in my model um it had larson in terms of dfs it had larson uh one and then it had truex third and it had hamlin a lot lower because it gave hamlin less upside but and also hamlin you know we're talking dfs hamlin was starting second versus truex 10th so there's more place differential potential for truex but um my model really liked hamlin and larson so uh i, I just especially in terms of average finish so just just destroyed uh, Denny Hamlin on the betting side. I probably would have gone Truex more in DFS had, you know, had I played DFS this past weekend. Um, so it's like, it's one of those things where I love the fact that there's both daily fantasy and there's betting because you can play different drivers because Truex to me had more upside in the model. Uh, but it wasn't like so slam dunk that, uh, you know, his odds of plus 500 made or 400, whatever they were made sense compared to Hamlin. I saw 845. It wasn't so much more slam dunk upside. So I was like, Hamlin's better betting value. But to me, I thought Truex was probably the better DFS value. Now, obviously Hamlin ended up being better DFS play anyway, because he won the race and led a lot of laps. But that's one of those situations where I love the fact there's both DFS and betting because you can, you're not even necessarily hedging. It is a bit of hedging there, but it, I actually just think you're making different po- best possible decisions based off of the market you're playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I kind of did the same thing. You know, I, I bet Hamlin and I, I wrote up Hamlin in my article uh, as a tournament play, which he ended up being super high owned. I didn't expect that, but um but yeah, so I bet him, and then I was a little—I was—I ended up being underweight on him because, um, 
my I mean my projections really liked him, but I I didn't want to go too crazy because I had that bet on him. Right. Um, but as far as finding value, so like I'll run my algorithm and if there's a guy that pops off like third or fourth and he's like eighth on the betting chart, that's what what kicks in my mind. Say, hey, I need to look further into this and whether he has the upside to to win the race. Uh, but like I said, I don't I don't particularly like betting a lot of outrights. At most, most race weekends, I got two, you know, outrights. I stick. I like top five, top three, top ten, and my all time favorite right now is top twenty. I uh, that's that's always going to be it. So like this week, uh, they opened with De Benedetto at minus one forty. They had Austin Dillon at minus one seventy. They had Chastain at minus one seventy. I hate minus odds. I don't like betting them, but when it's top 20 bets, I've come to like them because I'll just smash the hell out of them. So as an example, like I, I post my entire betting card every single week on my website. This is what I'm betting. This is the, I do Jordan jinx. I do my favorite bet of the week. And then I do the rest of my card just as a comparison. Typically like I'll put one unit on my Jordan jinx and I'll put 10 to 15 on my favorite bet. That's how much more I like it because typically it's like plus 160 or minus 150 odds. Mm-hmm. So if I'm betting it, I'm that confident in it that if I'm telling you this is my favorite bet of the week, which this week it's either going to be Austin Dillon minus 170 or DeBenedetto minus 140. I I hit both of them hard today. Um that's that's my signification of my favorite bet of the week is the one that I'm betting the heaviest. And then the, I, I, like I said, about one unit on my jinx and then the rest of my card, it just depends on the odds, you know, like Briscoe last week at plus plus one sixty for a top 20 was a few units. Whereas, you know, um, Ryan Blaney the other week at, it, it, it just depends on my confidence level and how much I want to bet. But the way that I approach it in betting when it comes to my full betting card is that I might only have two or three bets that I have more than one unit on. Unless right. I'm super, super, super confident. I typically hit my favorite bet super hard. If I have two or three favorite bets, I hit them all hard. Now the other ones I'm just, you know, I'll let them be. I'll, if I'm not, if I'm not, crazy confident that's that's my approach and i'm never crazy confident in outrights at all mm-hmm. um i just it's i like i said i've been i've jinxed so many drivers i've just come to not bet outrights i just don't particularly yeah, like yeah. it but. And, and i mean there's there's definitely merit and and i actually do this too there's merit to betting more if you're more confident um there's something called the kelly criterion which is basically it's a formula that says it like if you absolutely knew this bet had a 60 percent chance of hitting and you only needed to you know win 30 percent of the time it would tell you how much of your bankroll you should bet there's like a specific formula so some people will do half kelly or quarter kelly criterion they'll bet instead of betting the that amount because it's like super high risk to bet the exact amount they'll do a half or a quarter amount but the idea is the bigger the edge, the more you bet. And that's the optimal way to grow your bankroll. If you, And this applies if you exactly knew what the real probability of something happening was 
versus what the betting probability of it, you know, the odds you were offered were. So this would be if you absolutely knew it was going to happen, right? If if you were your confidence interval was exactly perfectly the thing your model says or whatever. But mm-hmm. obviously it's not the case. We have error in models. Uh, no model is perfect. Some models are useful. Uh, and so the idea is, well, maybe you do quarter Kelly or, or, or something like that, but you, you bet more based off of the edge, your model, your, your, your expected outcome uh, from, from your, your idea does. So I do that sometimes if I think there's a big edge, um, if my model shows a big edge, I will bet more on a head-to-head or a top three or a top five type prop. Uh, I mean, obviously, I could do the same on outrights. But the, like for me, typically in head-to-heads, I'll just bet one unit on everything. Um, so, you know, so it's if both are minus 110, I will bet 110. You know, if, if you're betting $100 units and you bet 110 on a minus 110. Uh, or if it's a plus number, I'll just, you know, I just bet 100. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, if it was plus 130 and I bet 100 on it, make, 1.3 units. So um, it, it just depends. Uh, but very often if I see like a really big edge, like when I saw that Blaney bell bet earlier, the one that you absolutely destroyed, I destroyed that bet too. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I put like five units on that one and uh, it was just glaringly obvious to me that that was screaming value uh, per my model, per the eye tests, per anything. It was screaming value, but very often for me in, in everybody's own philosophy, I like to, I like to bet an odd number of head to heads or, or let's say props that are around plus or minus a hundred, you know, even money approximately in that neighborhood. I bet an odd number. Cause if I hit three and you know, if, let's say that I bet five and I hit three and lose two, I'm going to make money. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's just like the way I like to do it in my head. Like, you know, there's something to be said about making money each week. And, uh, now, uh, if I if I hit four, if I hit all five, that's awesome. But if even if I just hit three, I'm either breaking even if it's like my three favorites that hit, uh, you know, the three minus size. I'm either like breaking even or or making money. Um, so typically I'll bet an odd number, not always, but typically I'll try to bet an odd number of bets that are approximately, you know, approximately minus one ten each, but favored or or less favored a little bit in a certain direction. Um, but if there's something that's just like screaming in my model. I will bet a lot more on that. So it just, everybody has their own philosophy. I think there's no right or wrong way. Um, you know, obviously I think there's an optimal way. If you, if you knew your model was damn good and you were confident in your confidence intervals, then you would just bet your bet size based off of the, what your model says is, you know, if it says it has a 60% chance and you only need to hit it 40% of the time to make a profit, You'd bet more than if it said it had a fifty percent chance, and you only had to bet it hit it forty percent of the time to make profit. So, um, you know, theoretically, there's an optimal way, but I think in reality, we don't all have those resources to have like crazy spreadsheets and models and things like that. So, um, you know, find every available line out there in the snap of a finger. So, um, you know, if, if we're just talking a basic betting NASCAR card talked about my outright strategy and, and my prop strategy is to, for the most part, bet a unit on everything, um, bet an odd number of bets. And then if I really like something, if my model really likes something bet heavier on it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even when you're super confident, 
just remember nothing is guaranteed because you know even last week at Darlington, DraftKings had Christopher Bell mispriced for a top twenty at minus one seventy, and I smashed that. And he, I think he finished twenty. Like it still hit. I'm, I'm, but yeah. it almost didn't. So just keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned the the Christopher Bell Ryan Blaney head to head that was at Richmond earlier this year. I don't think people realize how bad Bla- Ryan Blaney is at this racetrack. Uh, I just saw someone in my mentions on Twitter saying I really like Ryan Blaney at twenty to one, and I was like, "Do do you know how bad how? he is at this racetrack? How like how <laughs> like just going off of I, I think I, he I, took his best career Richmond finish." earlier this year and it was an 11th place finish like right i don't i don't understand how you can like and it's not even like oh he's been screwed out of some good fit. like he's just run bad here period yeah he like you said his last his last race here was his best one and at the beginning of the race he blaney looked pretty good i was a little concerned about bell not beating him um but then i think that was because you know blaney started seventh and he you know, he started he had row some track four. Yeah. yeah. And, and bell struggled early in the race, but then, you know, bell finished fourth. They have that same head to head this week, by the way, Caesars does already. I haven't checked. I haven't seen anywhere else that has it. Uh, they got smart. Uh, they have bell minus minus one twenty, and they have, uh, Blaney plus 100 as much as Blaney is running well now. And, and, um, improving at Richmond and at flat tracks overall still don't see him winning that matchup, but is one twenty minus minus one twenty good enough for you to bet that? No, no. I, uh, I, I, as, as much as I like bell, there is improvement in Blaney at this track. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the finishes that he's had throughout the year. Now, of course, Wood Brothers is Wood Brothers. It's not Penske, but you know he finishes Richmond 28th, 39th, 36th, 18th. Uh, start of Team Penske, uh, it becomes 22nd, 19th, 25th, uh, 17th, you know, and then 19th last year. So you're getting a few more in the teens and lower 20s rather than like 20s, mid 20s, 30s. Uh, and 11th. And, and like you said, he was, he was running pretty well at the early portion of the Richmond race, the first Richmond race this year. So not, it's not enough for me to be like, yo, this is a slam dunk still. I certainly think there probably is positive EV on bell at minus 20, but I would say it's very thin value and it's not enough, uh, outside of my confidence interval that I would bet it. Now I could run the numbers and, decide like you know of everything maybe it really is a super awesome bet but early in the week i don't see it i haven't uh actually officially run everything yet and and, and checked everything but gut feel right now i don't think that would be a bet i would make uh but you know you never know i mean if i were to run my model and it was like christopher bell's projected finish average or median of eight and blaney would finish a median of 14 or something, maybe I'd make it, but I'd have to look at my confidence intervals in that model as well. And, uh, you know, run my distributions and things like that to figure out what the actual 
probability of Christopher Bell finishing higher than Blaney is and compare it to a minus 120. So that's not all done yet. That takes some time to run. Uh, I also like to wait and make sure that the actual full uh, entry list and starting lineup is correct because that will have an, even if something's changed, it could have a knock on effect a little bit here and there on the simulations. So um, I try to not do extra legwork uh, if I don't need to early in the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at, as you said, Blaney's getting better at Richmond. Uh, looking at the short flats this year, he was 10th at Phoenix. He was 5th at Loudoun. Uh, even if you, I know we don't include Martinsville, but if you did, he, he's very good at Martinsville as well. Uh, right. And that gets, uh, and then you compare Bell, who was ninth at Phoenix, seventh at Martinsville, fourth at Richmond, and second at Loudoun. So, yes, I still think Christopher Bell wins that matchup. Um, but at minus one twenty, I wouldn't touch it unless it's even or or better. Um, yeah, for me, that's that's just me personally. Um, but that gets us right into the Richmond race this weekend. You and I are both very good at predicting short flat tracks. These are we got them on lock. I I will openly say that because it's happens time and time again. Uh, I know my algorithm likes Martin Truex Jr. to win, and I do as well. I said it last week. I'm going to toot my own horn again. <laughs> do you think? Do you see this race coming? A winner. Actually, let's let's talk about Kyle Larson because he has a win here at Richmond. He's on the pole for this weekend. He sucked here earlier this year. He has been okay on flat tracks this year and in his career in general. Even in the years when he was with Ganassi and he had you know top seven runs here at Richmond, he never put up fastest laps, which obviously isn't an awesome indicator of speed. But for someone like Kyle Larson when he has a win here, you'd like to see a good amount of fastest laps. We never saw it. Do you think now going from, you can get Larson at nine to one this week. Is, is Kyle Larson worth worse, worth betting at nine to one at a track that he, like I said, he really struggled earlier this year. He's, he hasn't struggled throughout his career, but he hasn't been great. Um, but do you see the value in betting him nine to one, or do you think it's going to come down to the the normal heavy hitters of short flat tracks, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, the Penske boys, and you know Almarola from the top rope? <laughs> yeah, I I I do have a hard time seeing Larson uh, triumphing here. Um, he just this isn't his best track type. This isn't his best track. I don't think this is his best uh, aerodynamic slash horsepower package uh, in general. Uh, so he also doesn't need to win. He just needs to bring yeah, home. Yeah, he just he just needs to just it just not get destroyed, right? So mm-hmm. um, as long as he has a very solid day, uh, you know, even if he finishes fifteenth, that's fine. That's going to get him through. Uh, he will probably come out of Richmond more than 60 points ahead of the cutoff and he literally can just skate through Bristol, which is one of his good tracks. So he can go for the win at Bristol and gain more playoff points uh, and, and another win. So this is probably a race. He just survive and advances, you know um, it's, it's, it's funny because he did win that one Richmond race 
Uh, and he did finish second at Richmond at Ganassi, like you mentioned, but uh, I think Bristol's his better track. Now, obviously Bristol has more variants, but I think they probably just try with Kyle Larson to just ride around and keep it clean and, you know, have a very, I wouldn't say a high upside strategy, but a safe enough strategy, uh, so that they can attack Bristol knowing as long as they start the race, they're through to the next round uh, because that's the, that's the position they're in right now, quite frankly. Uh, if you look at the point standings, he has 2,106 points. Well, Alex Bowman has 2,026 points. So he is 80 points ahead of the cutoff there, which is tied Tyler Reddick and Alex Bowman. 80 points ahead. So as long as he, you know, doesn't lose more than like 18 ish 19. I can't remember what the exact number of like max points is. If you win the stages and you win the, uh, like if you were to clean sweep the whole points for the weekend, but like, you know, as long as Larson's within eyeball distance of Reddick and, or Alex Bowman, he's skating through to Bristol essentially, um, you, or through, through to the next round. And he can just go all out at Bristol, which is one of his best tracks. So I think they play it safe. This track is, is not like one of his best. Sure, he's won here and he's had a couple good finishes, but uh, it's definitely not one of his best. This track type isn't one of his best. Um, like I said, he's been much better at the 550 than the 750s. That doesn't mean he's been bad at the 750s by any means. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think uh, I think this is probably one of those where I'd probably just pass on Kyle Larson and outright betting, unless you found some crazy value. You know, maybe if you're uh, browsing around and you find him 1350 at Circa. Uh, in Vegas, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe that's a bet, but I think at 900 right now, I'd probably just pass on Larson. I, you know, this really sets up like tricks. Hamlin, uh, Logano has been up there at these short flat tracks all year. Um, so that's kind of where I'm looking with my model right now. I'm actually pulling up, um, my New Hampshire model because, um, uh, looking at average finish it was ham for New Hampshire. It was Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Truex, Larson, Elliott, and Logano as my top uh, six drivers. And they're all pretty close. Um, after Logano, there was a little bit of a drop down to Byron and Harvick uh, for New Hampshire. So I expect probably pretty similar. Um, I there wasn't a whole lot at New Hampshire that changed my mind. Obviously, you know Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. had DNFs that won't weigh as heavily in my model because my model doesn't weigh DNFs very heavily. Uh, so it'll tend to not recognize the fact that Bush and Truex had a bad New Hampshire because it wasn't their fault. Uh, and it, when you and I talked, you know, when I did my Eric Almarola victory lap, that podcast, uh, not only did I do the Eric Almarola victory lap, but look at the actual finishing position for drivers uh, outside of you know, I mean, uh, I think I tweeted like I'm really looking at Hamlin, Truex, Harvick, uh, was it Bell, um, mm. Almirola, Di Benedetto, and maybe one of the drivers. Like all of them, uh, Logano, all of them crushed except for Truex, and you know, even then Truex still ended up pulling out a respectable finish after wrecking in the rain. So uh, I like absolutely slayed that race, and so there was nothing that's really going to change my model super significantly for Richmond. I don't think so. I think we're going to see a lot of the same names in my model. Which means I'll probably be betting a lot of the same people. Now, of course the markets will change a little adjusted after new Hampshire. Um, but uh, I still think there's going to be value in that 
you know, group of drivers that I've mentioned in certain markets, whether it's top three, five, outright props, head to heads, uh, DFS, things like that. Yeah. I, and I say this every time we come to a short flat track is do not overthink this. We know who's good at these racetracks. It's Richmond, Phoenix, Loudon. Do you include Nashville at all? Uh, Nashville, I'm not really including, but like, you know, Almirola did really well at Nashville. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a 750. It's a low downforce. It's flatter. You can, 750. Uh, again, you can, I use Nashville and Martinsville as tiebreakers. Mm-hmm. Whereas I will definitely use Phoenix, Richmond, and New Hampshire as the core of the comparable tracks, or obviously Richmond, the track we should be looking at. And then I use Nashville and Martinsville kind of as like tiebreakers. So if there's like a DFS and you're like this guy or that guy head to head, you can use that as a tiebreaker essentially, especially if you think the ownership's somehow going to go the other way. But, uh, you know, those would kind of be more like tiebreakers for me. Uh, it, but I'm most heavily relying on Phoenix, Richmond, and New Hampshire. And really, even more so Phoenix and Richmond than New Hampshire. New Hampshire's a little different. Um you know, just in its shape and in the way it drives. Uh, but it's still very relevant. Obviously, Eric Amarola is good at all three of Phoenix, Richmond, and, and, and New Hampshire. I'll probably go on a tweeting spree at some point, updating all those Eric Amarola stats in these short <laughs> flats. But uh, the idea is the dude just crushes. And there are drivers like Chris Bell crushes. Joey Logano has been crushing. Uh, and, and outside of Laney, all, you know, Team Penske, including Benedetto, has been really good at these short flats this year and, and most of last year. Um, so I don't see any reason why that would change a whole lot. Uh, you know, and I think this definitely helps Harvick as well. Stuart Haas racing has fared better on these, uh, especially mm-hmm. Almirola and Harvick have, have fared better at these. So um, looking kind of at the same, you know, cast of characters this weekend, it just is going to depend on the exact bet on the exact market on, you know, DFS or, or betting things like that. Um, as to who I think is going to be a great value, that doesn't mean I, maybe I won't find something like you know, Stenhouse versus Bubba Wallace and Stenhouse is plus money. I'd probably take Stenhouse there. Uh, you never know what you'll find, but, uh, you know, it's just like, you just got to keep looking and, uh, you know, just scour the markets, scour all the books, find the best lines, find anything you can find because there's value out there. I guarantee you there's value out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I said, like we know who's very good at these racetracks. It's not, this isn't rocket science, but it does. There are certain tracks that certain drivers aren't great at. And Ryan Blaney, it's Richmond for whatever reason, he can't figure it out. So you look at, you look at the flat tracks this year and I'm including Martinsville just because I have it up here and it's Mm -hmm. in front of me. Uh, I would not, I'm not including this in my, in anything else this weekend, really. Like you said, it's not significant for Richmond. But so go back to Phoenix. He had an average running position of 4.8. Loudon, he had an average running position of 3.8. Martinsville, he had an average running position of 4.1. You go to Richmond, 11.8. Like that's how far off Ryan Blaney is at this racetrack. So yeah. there's there's little things like that that you need to pay attention to. But for the most part, if a guy's good at an Ryan at iFancy Race has always said that ever since they reconfigured Phoenix, it's basically a it's Richmond 
backwards. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're just so similar. So those two Richmond and Phoenix definitely compare really well. You throw in Loudon, you have a very good base of races to look at. So looking at flat those three tracks over the last two years, 2020 and 2021, we go by average running position. And how I calculate average running position is if a driver I take number of laps multiplied by the average running position that race and do it for all the races in the data set, add them all together and then divide by the total number of laps. This takes out if a driver wrecks, it takes yep. out it doesn't include the the laps that he didn't run. Right. So Joey like Legato, Kyle Kyle Bush had like the fastest or second fastest average running speed at New Hampshire, but he wrecked on lap five or six, right? So uh that doesn't right. really count. So you're yeah. deweighting it because he didn't run as many laps. Exactly. Um there there's different ways. That's a good way to do it. There's another way to do it where you can just like uh you know just remove major incident races completely because had he run the full race, he wouldn't have run that speed. So, uh, you know, mm. it's it, it there, but absolutely what you're doing is correct. Uh, and one thing I did want to mention, you said last year and this year, I think that's a very important, uh, before you continue your point, very important point because 2019 was high downforce, low horsepower at these short flats. So 2019 is not relevant data. Okay. Put it out there. 2019 is not relevant data. <laughs> 2018 and 2017 very similar rules to this again, high horsepower, low downforce, almost identical in horsepower, almost identical in splitter and spoiler sizes. So 2018, 2017 can be relevant, um, especially if a driver was like on the same team. Like I know I'll talk about Eric Almarola because he did race for Stuart Haas racing in 2018. So I will use 18, uh, 20 and 2021 for Eric Almarola when looking at these short flats, but I won't use 2019. So I just want to get that point out there, but continue with uh, what you were talking about, green flag speed and, and, and so forth. Yeah. So I, I, I like looking at average running position and I just noticed that I forgot to um, throw in Loudon of this year. Uh, so these numbers are a little bit different that are going to be that I publish, but um, looking at 2020 and 2021 short flats, excluding Loudon of this year, Joey Logano, 3.7 average running position, which is nuts. I mean, that's what we see Larson doing this year on like the really good tracks. Keselowski, 5.0, Harvick, 7.6, Truex, 7.7, Hamlin, 7.9. We know who who these guys are. Noteworthy, Eric Amarola, eighth best, 10.9. We look at the flat tracks of this year, 2021. And again, I'm including including Martinsville just because I wanted four races in it. But you should take out Martinsville here. Hamlin, number one, at 3.9. Truex, 7.6. Logano, 7.9. Bell, 8.7. Harvick, 8.7. It's the same guys. Like, I can't get through this enough. It's the same guys. And shit doesn't happen at Richmond. So, like, it's... I don't know what else to say. We know who the best cars are at these tracks, and nothing has changed over the last two years, really. It's right. Penske had a pretty big, uh, not a big edge, but they had an edge last year and it came back, but it's always going to be Gibbs and Penske. They're always going to be one and two. Um, and then maybe a surprise Hendrick car, you know, Bowman won at, uh, yeah. Like Larson, you can't count out Larson, Bowman, Elliott or Byron even, uh, you can't count them out, but they're more like on the surprise side than like the expected side. Mm -hmm. And then of course you've got Harvick and Almarola and that's like, that's it. That's your cast of characters. You're not even really including, you know, even like Ganassi or, or Childress. Like those guys aren't factoring into this here. Uh, so it's, 
it's Gibbs and Penske. Uh, and then you're sprinkling in some Hendrick and you're sprinkling in, uh, you know, Harvick and Almarola as drivers that have legitimately have the potential to do something super, super awesome in this race. Uh, you know, in terms of massive upside, you know, winning upside. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly why I have no problem betting the favorite this week of Martin Truex Jr. Because he is so good at short flat tracks. And this is a night race and he races better at night. So I know we've went on, you know, many times this year saying don't bet the favorites. One, this race doesn't have a super heavy favorite like Larson at plus 270 or whatever he's been. Truex is still, you can get him at five and a half. I I like that bet. I like Martin Truex Jr. I'm going to reiterate it here. I'm basically Nostradamus at this point when I called after calling (laughs) Denny Hamlet at Darlington. I'm calling Martin Truex Jr. this week. I think I'm willing his round two existence because I'm so worried about Bristol. But yes, we we know who's good here. Like you said, sprinkle in the the Eric Almarolas, the Christopher Bells, who's who's finished top nine in every single short flat this year. Um, but when it comes to, when it comes down to it, if this race doesn't have anything crazy happen, if it doesn't have a late pit stop where someone gambles or Nothing crazy like that. It's going to come down to the Gibbs cars or the Penske cars. Maybe, maybe a Stuart Haas Ford. But even even going back to the Loudon race, that one still deserves a little asterisk mark beside it because of the rain at the beginning. And, and it took out Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr., who have been two of the best on this track type for the last two years. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned how Richmond doesn't really have a whole lot of incidents the the average incident rate in just any nascar race that's not talladega or uh sorry not talladega not daytona or not a road course is north of 10 percent richmond if you just include the low down force races high horsepower since 20 17 so 2016 was a little bit more downforce um and uh so i'm not really including even though it was still kind of low but uh the incident rate is 4.8 percent so it's like less Less than than half half of a normal and 4.8 percent is like nothing like there's 40 cars in the field you're talking two cars having an incident right like Mm -hmm. uh so if there's less than 40 cars you're probably talking one to two on average having a major incident um, if you include 2016, because it is kind of similar, uh, it, it massively, massively, uh, I'm obviously saying this sarcastically jumps to 6.7%, uh, <laughs> still about half of little over half of the incident rate of any, uh, typical oval. But if you just include 2020 and 2021, which is the last two years for Richmond. So two races, two race sample size. The incident rate is 2.6%. So it seems like there's more incidents if you go further back in the past. Um, you know, it jumps to 3.7 if you include 2018 only. And like I said, 2018, 2017 is 4.7. So like, but a lot of that also could just be like, maybe things are less reliable. Maybe drivers were less talented back in the past, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which kind of has just been a general trend. And now, you know, there's more reliability. There's fewer blown tires, there's fewer brake issues. Not that they don't exist, but less and less and less uh, there's fewer driver errors uh as time progresses because they learn they've learned and learned and learned 
they need to make the whole 400 miles, not try to race super hard in the first few laps. So um, just in general, the incident rate has been dropping throughout history. So if you just for the year, this is the lowest track in the whole circuit as far as incident rate. And, you know, in the last two years, uh, there have been two drivers with a major incident. One of them was Justin Haley on lap one of uh, this year's race. Mm -hmm. And the other one was Timmy Hill uh, retiring after a hundred of the 400 laps on last year's Richmond race. So two incidents out of 76 drivers. So 38 drivers contested each race uh, of this year and last year's Richmond races. So two out of 76 gives you that percentage there. So you're not going to expect a lot of major issues here at this track. Maybe some minor ones, you know, maybe a pit road speeding penalty, but that doesn't count as a major incident. There's still, you know, no problems with the car as far as driving on the track, or maybe, maybe something weird happens and uh, you know, loose wheel or something. I have to go a couple. That's not really a major incident. That's a minor incident as far as how my model works. Uh, and so, basically, no major incidents here. So what you see is what you get at Richmond. This is a very predictable track, and so that's why these drivers we're talking about are the same ones that we think are going to come up again this weekend. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think it was speaking of penalties at that's the most likely thing that's going to happen. And one thing to note, um, last year's Richmond race, if you remember back, Austin Dillon actually had the best car in that race. Like I, I will openly admit it. He had the best car. He had a speeding penalty, I think, or, or something happened on pit road that he lost track position, and that's why he ended up fourth, and Keselowski ended up dominating the race. That's the only reason why. And I think Hamlin had an issue in that race as well, maybe one or two, because he was he was up there and as strong, not as strong, but he was right there with Austin Dillon in that race as well. Uh, he ended up 12th, but... Um, but it's it's not super common for that to happen. Obviously, you need to cover your bases when you're playing DFS and have those potential upsides. But we got starting top three is Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. And just like the first uh, Richmond race this year, it sh- we should see Martin Truex Jr. and Denny Hamlin, one or both of those two dominating for the most part on Saturday night. But yeah, I, you got you got anything oh, go else ahead. to add? <laughs> no, I was just I was just uh, looking up Austin Dillon bets because uh, you know you're mentioning him. He is seven to one for a top five finish on DraftKings currently. Um, I didn't see anything on FanDuel. Um, again, different states have different different things, so maybe you see something on FanDuel. But uh, fifty to one outright on DraftKings and fifty to one outright at BetMGM. Uh, for Austin Dillon. So maybe that's something to keep an eye on knowing he had the best car at this race last year. And earlier this year, he did end up finishing 10th and running pretty well at the the first Richmond race. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious, uh, could, could he be a good, Oh, here we go. Top 10 bet on Austin Dillon. And you mentioned you bet you're hammering him at minus 170, but he's plus 130 for a top 10. Uh, and he's now minus 220. If I look at DraftKings for a top mm-hmm. 20. Yeah, those top 20, specifically the three that I tweeted out, moved big time. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think De Benedetto moved to minus 180, yep. um, which I 
obviously now I'm I'm not going to bet it at minus one eighty. I I loved it at minus one forty, and now that I have my bets in at minus one forty, um, I'm not going to hit it again at one eighty. But I don't think I definitely wouldn't hit minus two twenty for Dylan and Chastain top twenties. Right, and De Benedetto's ride on the fringe because I'm pretty confident that De Benedetto's going to hit one twenty. But minus one eighty, I don't like getting into that. Speaking of, you know, going back to to uh, to betting um, strategy, but odds this week, like I said, Truex is the favorite by most books. Um, the the ones that opened up early, I I don't think like Barstool and uh, Bet Rivers, they're always the first one to post odds. I don't know that they know what they're doing. They had Larson the favorite, like like at four to one. And I was like, well, those are gonna that's gonna change once DraftKings comes out. And DraftKings came out and had him at like nine to one. Right. And then every everyone adjusted down. But looking at FanDuel right now, Truex, I think this is the best line for him at plus five fifty, and I think this is the best line for Hamlin at plus seven hundred. Mm-hmm. Do you see any reason to bet outside of that, considering the Legato or like Legato and Keselowski aren't getting you know, Logano especially isn't getting anything longer than nine that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, it, it again, it all depends on what you're finding. But if Logano's, I would bet probably bet Logano at nine. I think I bet him earlier this year at Richmond at nine to one, uh, exactly nine to one. So I think I'd probably bet him again at nine to one. Um, but uh, you know, if if, if Logano hits nine, probably taking that. But at seven, seven and a half, I don't think I'm betting Logano there. So you're really looking, like you said, at tricks and Hamlin. Uh, maybe you can find some kind of crazy long shot value, but I definitely bet Logano at Richmond and I was kind of annoyed. So by the way, first Richmond race this year, every single one of my props and head to heads hit. Uh, the only thing that didn't hit was my outright. And that was Logano at nine to one. And he dominated a portion of that race and kind of got almost screwed out of the win late there because of that late restart where Alex Bowman snookered both him and uh, I think it was either Hamlin or Truex. Can't remember the the exact second person there, but it was like Truex, Hamlin, and Logano dominated the race. The three of them did, and I think Logano was leading late up until that final restart. So um, I do think I would bet Logano at nine to one, but that's kind of you know where I'd find the value on Logano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see he's seven at uh, DraftKings, so right, definitely right. shop around as as we say every week. Shop around. FanDuel, I've found, has typically the longest odds. Sometimes not for the favorites, but even this week, they have Truex at plus 550, which is the best I've seen. So um, I think that's going to wrap it up for us, unless you have anything else to add this week. No, this I think it's a, a pretty pretty straightforward week overall. Um, I think uh, it's the playoff picture is, is super interesting. Eric Almarola, I mean, the dude is sitting here inside the playoffs like to advance to the next round and this is one of his really good tracks he could literally legitimately be ahead of i mean he could legitimately be in the top eight after you know he could be eighth place in the standings after this race i wouldn't be surprised if he was uh so i'm i'm very curious to see how this race is going to go down uh one one prop bet that i think would be fun is if you somehow saw eric almarola versus like christopher bell and either of those were plus money. I'd take either side because I think both of these two are like a coin flip with each other at this point in time in their performance on short, flat tracks. So uh, we'll have to see. I mean, haven't run my full final model yet, but early indications are this is going to look a lot like 
New Hampshire, going to look a lot like previous Richmond, where I absolutely slayed both of those tracks. So uh, I'm looking forward to Richmond. Yeah, this I I for whatever reason I always just enjoy Rich. Like I I I like flat track races. I don't know why. I like yeah, any they're race, they're fun. Well, and plus they're 750 and and lower down force. But um, you know, we were talking bet sizes earlier, or you know, I'd say I typically put one unit or whatever on on things. But the Almarola bet that was uh top 20 for New Hampshire. If you I didn't have top 20 available, but if you uh you know had that available to you i was like destroy that bet because i think he opened it like plus 110 or even money and then was like minus 110 after like a day or two like for a top 20 for eric almarola who all he does is finish top 20 at these these short flat tracks it was crazy now obviously now you're it's a little different because uh his top 20 odds on DraftKings are minus 285 i still think there's value there at minus 285 on draft you, you do on two yeah, I mean, because he went down to minus 400 at new hampshire uh at closing top 20 yeah so i i just i had to pull up new hampshire real quick my favorite bet of the week which like i said is always my largest bet of the week was eric amarola top 20 minus 135 i put almost seven units on it at uh new hampshire and, and I remember back to that race very well. We both had a very, very good betting day. I, I think you might still be drunk from that race. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. But uh, as far as head-to-heads with Almarola involved, the only one I can find right now is um, Caesars and DraftKings has Almarola versus Kurt Busch with Almarola as the very heavy favorite. Yeah. At so mi- minus 135. So Almarola's finishes at Nons Martinsville Short Flats. Uh, seven, seventeen, three, five, four, eight, seven, eight, thirteen, eleven, six, four. Uh, if you count Nashville, and one, no finishes outside the top twenty in that whole sample size. His worst is a seventeenth. And now we didn't. Uh, he's going to be starting. And now we're going, and, and we're going to the track that has the least amount of major incidents under this current rule setting. Um, so you're basically relying on Almarola to have a major incident or like multiple minor incidents, you know what I mean? To not finish top 20 and he's minus 285. I think I like that bet. I, I, I really don't enjoy betting very heavy favorites, you know, minus 285s minus, but I think there's value there. I said, I thought there was value on Almarola when he got down to minus 300 at New Hampshire. I thought there was still value in that, but. Minus 285 is less than the minus three, or I think he ended up at minus 400 for a top 20 eventually. I still think there's value on Almarola top 20 at one of his best, three best tracks, period, outside of you know Daytona and Talladega, which is completely, totally wild and crazy anyway, that you can't really predict those. But you can predict these tracks. They're the most predictable. They're the most reliable in terms of incident rate. And Eric Almarola with Stuart Haas Racing, 2018, 2020, 2021 has never finished worse than 17th at these three tracks. Uh, and if you encount, if like I said, if you encount Nashville, that's just an extra race to the sample size as well. So betting what roughly $1,500 to win 500. Yeah, I, I wouldn't hate that. 
you're gonna make that. me do you're gonna make me do stupid things this week <laughs> i mean it doesn't feel good but if you bet it every single race of almarola's career at Stuart haas racing under these rules packages at these three tracks you'd be making a lot of money that's true you're you're absolutely right do you think and there's we're, value we're at, the, we're at one of the most predictable tracks like i said with one of the lowest incident rates at his best track type and Stuart haas has turned it up lately mm-hmm. kevin harvick was legitimately running top three for a lot of darlington he finished fifth um we know what almirola does on his track type do you think there's value in him and betting him plus 100 for a top 10 i don't think that that's good enough for me to hit plus 100 for a top 10 uh yeah i think there's value there i think there's value there um i mean what 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 has he done to make you think there isn't value there i mean his finishes at richmond are with Stuart house racing are 17 5 eight and six so three out of four and then you take the whole sample size and he's only had three outside of the top 10 in uh one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve race sample size 13 if you include nashville i think my algorithm has him 10th this week i just i test looking at it i would have liked to see plus 125 plus 120 then I'd be like, okay. And here's the thing: That's... it took it took two. It, it took one minor incident to keep him out of the top ten at Phoenix earlier this year. Um, he started mm-hmm. in the back, drove through the field, and I can't remember if it was the end of stage one or the end of stage two. But when they had that pit stop, I think they had uh, either too many men or uncontrolled tire. It was not a Eric Almarola speeding penalty. It was some other violation that wasn't him. That put him all the way back through the field and he had to drive all the way back up to 11th and finish the 11th, you know? So um, he probably would have three for three in top tens without that minor incident at Phoenix this year. And four for four if you include Nashville. So that's true. You know, yeah. So for the second short, flat race in a row with this podcast, we're all over Eric Almarola. It's definitely not as much value as there was at New Hampshire. New Hampshire was like screaming, crazy, massive, 80 to 1, you know, minus 110 for a top 20, like just ridiculous value on Almirola. Uh, I destroyed Almirola that weekend. Um, he was plus 220 for a top 10, plus 220. Now he's plus 100, right? He was plus yeah. 200 to win his group with Chastain, Suarez, and Custer. Like, he should have been favored to win that group. And it, it should have uh, been close. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, judging, assuming the books are looking at that, you know, Almirola is now 25 to 1 this week on DraftKings, better than Kurt Busch at 30 to 1, who we talked about. One guy we didn't talk about before we, before we cut this, Ross Chastain, what do you think of him? Because his, it's kind of up and down, and it's hard to, there's a lot of recency bias. People now saw what Chastain did last week. They say, oh, he can he can win this week. And going back to Nashville, he mm-hmm. had a very strong race car at Nashville. Uh, do you think that Chastain can challenge for another top five this weekend, even though he's not in the playoffs and we typically don't see playoff drivers do that? 
I wouldn't say top five, but I think top 10 is certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, he finished 15th at Richmond earlier this year. Not amazing, but still top 15. And then, uh, you know, we mentioned how insane he was at Nashville. He could have won that race. Uh, he finished in the top 10 at New Hampshire. Now, of course, there's the caveat of Kyle Busch and uh, Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. getting involved in the rain. But still, that maybe you know that that's still a good finish for him in eighth place. He he could he could uh, I wouldn't discount him. Uh, he's plus two hundred for a top ten. I'll have to see what my model thinks. But um, you know, I I definitely like him better than Kurt Busch. And you know, if there's a head to head between him and Kurt Busch somehow, I'd probably take Chastain because uh, he's run better than Kurt Busch at this track type this year. Uh, so. I'd probably take him over Kurt Busch if if there was somehow a head to head between the two teammates at Ganassi. Hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of cars they bring. And yeah, I mean Chastain. It seems like there's definitely no consistency when it comes to Ross Chastain. He never really has two good weeks back to back, at least good finishes. But it's hard not to um, not to see the upside there. Which right. actually is going to bring me to my final point now because um, I just thought of it. So because of how NASCAR does the starting lineup with playoff drivers, he's starting 17th despite, despite finishing top five at Darlington. How much does starting position matter here at Richmond? Uh, it definitely matters more than Darlington. But um, once again, most almost all of these ovals, it doesn't really matter much. Uh, but at Richmond, it matters more than most so we will consider starting position at this track type uh at this track but even then it's still 400 laps it's still a lot of racing uh stages especially have made it so that starting position is less relevant than it used to be um if you look at pre-stage versus post-stage era the shuffling of the pit stops because of the four stages um definitely jumbles the order a little bit more. So uh, starting position isn't huge here, but it definitely matters. I mean, if Almirola, you know, let's say Phoenix, for example, hadn't had to drive through the field, you know, he drove up, I think to eight at the end of stage one after starting in the thirties and then got another penalty. Like we talked about, he probably would have finished in the top five or six at Phoenix. Um, He had that good of a car. It's not going to show it in the numbers because He's 14th in average green flag speed, but a lot of that race was spent trying to pass drivers in the 30s and the 20s and the upper teens, right? So the fact that he finished, you know, 11th and had the 14th best average running speed despite uh, coming through the field twice is huge. So uh, starting position definitely matters more here than at other tracks, but 400 laps, stages, uh and low horsepower, or sorry, low downforce, high horsepower is going to help. If this was, you know, if this was 2019, starting position would matter incredibly a lot. Uh, those 2019 short flat races were some of those boring to watch because you just couldn't pass. You were at mm-hmm. low horsepower and high downforce. Th- that was literally one of the, those, those races were some of the most dreadful I've ever seen. Um, right up there with the, the restrictor plate race of New Hampshire in 2000. And it was like one or two. It was after Adam Petty and Kenny Irwin died at New Hampshire. 
They slapped on restrictor plates at New Hampshire and Jeff Burton led every single lap. That was terrible, terrible racing. Uh, so, um, yeah, don't, don't restrict things at short flat tracks, but, uh, luckily we're not, we got the high horsepower. we got the low downforce. Uh, so you can pass, but track position definitely matters more than it did this past weekend at Darlington. Yeah. I remember that, that 2019 year. Well, specifically, and like I said, you know, Martinsville doesn't translate well to Richmond, but I remember that Martinsville race, the first one that year, cause Kozlowski led like 450 laps out of the 500 chase Elliott. He Kozlowski got out of the car and said, chase Elliott was better than him all day. He just couldn't pass because mm-hmm. of the package. That's yeah. just how it was. And, and like you said, it was awful. And, and Truex did the exact same thing later that year. He led 460 something laps out of the 500 and just dominated. And he might've had the best car, but again, you can't, we had no idea of telling because uh couldn't pass. But before we go, who uh, who you think wins this? You think your boy Dennis gets a second one, or do you think he lets Truex get into the second round and he's a good teammate? Or do you have uh, someone else? I, I don't. I don't think there's any love lost between, or there maybe there's a lot of love. I don't know what the correct phrase is, but Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. have not been the best of friends over the radio. Let's say uh in in this year maybe even last year um you gotta go for the win if you're in the playoffs that's an extra five playoff points you gotta go for the win you gotta go for the stage points so i don't think denny hamlin's rolling over for truex if i had to pick a winner uh i'd probably pick truex because it's at night but uh you know it's certainly tight between for me for me the top three are truex hamlin and logano that's it that's those are my top three um tricks hamlin got that's exactly what my algorithm says as well in that order there you that's, go so yeah uh, it, it's tough to argue against that now obviously things can happen obviously alex bowman won the first richmond race but that was he had a great race he was up there in the top five six all day but he took advantage of that last restart uh i i don't even have the number in front of me but he didn't lead many laps maybe just a couple uh, and won that race, but you know, I think uh, for me, it's it's Truex Hamlin Logano one two three. I agree with you, and I, I like I said, I I'm betting Truex, and I'm probably gonna bet Hamlin at seven to one. I'm gonna call it a day and hammer those top twenty bets and enjoy the race, and then we're gonna go to Bristol. So yeah, yeah. Alex Bowman led one time for ten laps. So it was that late restart. That was yep. It. Yep. Um, 207 laps led for Denny Hamlin, 107 for Martin Truex Jr., 49 for Joey Logano. They each led five separate times, and, and Denny Hamlin actually led six different times there. So it was Truex Hamlin Logano show. I don't see any reason based off of other races this year. And remember, remember New Hampshire, Logano two laps down because of shenanigans comes mm. all the way back. And nearly, uh, you know, ends up in, I can't remember the exact position, but I mean, the dude came I from two laps down that. to finish in the top five or something like that. Uh, well, what did he finish at New Hampshire? He finished fourth. Yeah. He finished fourth. And, he, and I think I had him versus Keselowski in a head to head and he finished behind Keselowski four to three after being two laps down. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Logano legitimately have actually had the best car of that race. It was Logano, Bell, Almirola. I think we're probably the three best because those three Joe Gibbs drivers wrecked, but Logano was freaking amazing 
in that New Hampshire race. I forgot about that. That is, yeah. Yeah, it's it's got it's gonna come down to Hamlin Truex Logano. Um one note about Truex is he's led a hundred or more laps in seven of the last nine Richmond races. But he's never went over never went over 193. He's never led or 198. So he's, he's never, never hit the 200 50%, mark. Yeah. That's that's interesting for him, you know. Yeah. Because like he's one of those guys that we see just absolutely dominate, but um Pit stops matter, yeah. man. Pit stops will matter here. I think uh, maybe a little bit of advantage to Denny Hamlin because that pit crew seems to be just on point. This, you know, they've been on point for many years. But they still seem to be on point. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Dennis takes uh, Darlington and Richmond back to back, and you know, doubles his win total this year. Now, I know you loved my tweet. He's won more playoff races than everybody else combined this year. <sighs> Do you know how do you know how awful this victory lap has been this week of me calling <laughs> Hamlin? Like this is my nightmare because <laughs> now all the now all of a sudden, like, oh, it makes complete sense that he's gonna win this championship because he's been so good all year and he finally got a win. And then like I said, I, I said he was gonna win Darlington. I said he's gonna win multiple races in this playoffs. He's probably gonna do it. He's probably gonna win this week. Like uh, it's it's we, awful. This we, is, we've this been, is my nightmare. We've been polite too. We haven't even touched on the whole Twitter Jordan fish thing other than uh, you with the intro there, but yeah, this is, <laughs> this is your nightmare. And you know, they are going to Phoenix for their last race of the year, which is reverse Richmond as uh, you know, Ryan from my fantasy race says uh, we could be talking Denny Hamlin champion and Jordan in tears at the end of the year. Trying to jinx him and I'm going to end up willing him in there, but Hey, maybe that means if you get rid of your woman, you start winning races. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Tony Stewart did that. You know, he it was. I think the exact term was dead weight. We got rid of the dead weight, and uh, Tony <laughs> Stewart won the 2011 championship after getting rid of the dead weight. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's maybe Denny Hamlin's a champion because of getting rid of dead weight. Now I don't I don't want to say that. You know, I think those are some very serious allegations that went on there on Twitter, and we don't know the story. Nobody knows the story except Denny Hamlin and Jordan fish. But, uh, so I don't want to make too much light of the situation. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely think, uh, Hamlin bounced back from whatever's going on and it hasn't affected his performance. So I don't think, you know, people were asking going in. And I think the only reason I bring this up is because people were asking going into Darlington this past weekend, should we devalue Denny Hamlin? Should we no. drop him down? You know, uh, a that's something you can't model. How the hell are you going to model that? Um, and B, maybe our only other relevant data points are like Tony Stewart and Kurt Busch. You know, that it's like two data points, and they both end up doing right. pretty well. So um, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, do, you, do you think? Do you think anybody think should can... be talking about it? Because no. the media members are getting mad that people are asking about it. I look, I think we all want to keep our private lives the way our private lives should be. Um and just because you're a public figure doesn't mean you need your dirty laundry aired out for everybody. So I think that's up to Jordan Fish and Denny Hamlin on how each of them individually wants to handle that. 
So that's that's their call. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you have the right, especially in America, to ask. A media member could ask. People can ask. People can speculate. But to be said, we need to know this information right. is not pertinent that's... to us. Maybe it's pertinent to NASCAR if there is something potentially like violence involved or, or you know illegal activity involved. But even then, NASCAR would probably need something more than a tweet to investigate that. You know, um, yeah, we would need, need like the allegations, like, like Kurt Busch. Right, right, exactly. Like publicly put out there, or the, a police arrest report, or something like that. So, so I do think it's fair to talk about you know the situation uh I, I, but i don't think we can just be expected by denny hamlin or jordan fish or anybody to just be like here's what's up because that's not you know that's not there's there's no law in america that says you're just supposed to spill the beans right, right, uh, right even right. even nascar as a sanctioning body can't just compel the be- the beans to be spilled uh if especially if nothing illegal has happened they can investigate if they want but if nothing illegal has happened, then, you know, uh, if it turns out Denny Hamlin's just a, a cheater, and I don't know, this is, I'm, I'm not speculating, I'm not saying he is or isn't, that's still nothing you can suspend him or fine him or punish him for. Like, that's that's not how that works. Um, so, you know, I don't want to get into that, uh, but I, I definitely think, um, you know, it hasn't affected Hamlin's performance. Right. Yeah, if anything, it's made him more focused because he won. Finally got into victory lane and should be a contender this weekend. But that's going to cut it for this episode of Stacking Denny's. As usual, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions for what we should talk about, I love getting I love getting yes. questions like that. Yeah, they that, are the, the betting the betting one that we talked about today. You know, what do you do with outrights or or different things? Do you sprinkle five mm-hmm. to ten bets or that was a really good one. So anybody has any suggestions, questions? Drop them in the comments below if you're on YouTube or or, or the comments on or the re- any of the you know the review parts of all of the different platforms that you can hear stacking Denny's on. Absolutely, and good luck at Richmond. Hopefully, we don't sound crazy and this race is as predictable as we think it will be, which it should be. You hope so, but I look at that one 2016 race that had like massive incidents, but outside of that, Richmond's pretty damn predictable. And last week at Darlington, we didn't expect that. So you just never know in NASCAR, but this should be a definitely lead into a very good race at Bristol to close out round one. So, um, yeah, good luck to everybody this week. Hopefully we all make money and yeah, see ya. Shop, shop around. We'll see you guys. Yep.